All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are going to talk about some news and some stuff. Last week-ish-ish, where there were some weird things. I think this was actually two weeks ago because of how we released, but uh, we ended up interviewing uh, Sam, and that was really cool. But that means that we have a little bit more news stuff to filter through. So um, the next couple of episodes are going to be pretty action-packed. Hello, I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201 T-W-O underscore O-H underscore O-N-E. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. So the first thing we want to talk about is a blog post by Godfrey Chan called Rethinking Computer Science Education. This was a super long, in-depth article packed with a lot of great stuff. And basically, kind of the, the overall lesson of it is that CS degrees seem to be kind of like looked at as maybe not a necessity now for professions that are like traditionally computer science degree heavy, like programming. The other option is this, this boot camp mentality where, you know, I'm going to like get everything I need. I'm going to go from like nothing to like full-fledged developer in like six weeks. And there are people that don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about this. And that he's kind of suggesting in, in this that maybe both sides are actually failing to actually teach the thing that makes the best developers and kind of the TLDR the thing he thinks is very important is teaching someone how to learn. Yeah, I, yeah, I really. So you're right. It's it's long, but I think there's a lot of really good insightful kind of like like explanations that really dive more deeply into it than just like, hey, teach a what is it? What is the expression? It's a teach a person to fish, they'll eat for a day. You know, teach a person how to how to fish, and they'll eat for a lifetime. That kind of thing. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, that that there is so much depth to this kind of topic, and and there's no hard line either. I think the first, I was talking to this to with somebody else a little earlier. And they were basically saying, well, where did he come down on that? You know, like does he think that CS programs are are essential to good software engineers, and or vice versa? And I think that it's a really it's a much more nuanced concept that you know the best developers are usually the ones who are able to navigate up and down these multiple layers of abstraction and. You know, CS degree gives you those those primitive abstraction la- layers, and kind of like leaves you wanting some of the more practical things. So when you come out, you you still have to spend many years, you know, accumulating skills like Git or something. You know, you have to learn those things. They're just skills that are very utilitarian. But it's really not about. It's not necessarily about that. So I don't know. I I, I guess I guess I'm still trying to like internalize a lot of the ideas here because it does go in depth, but. Uh, there's some interesting uh, concepts around, like I think I think the example. I actually I don't know why this stuck in my head. It's probably because I just moved and I bought a trash bin, um, but they have an electric trash bin, and I'm guessing that till the office. Although I'm not 100 positive. Basically, it's a state machine, so it's an electronic thing. So you like put your hand over top of the sensor, and the, the lid comes up, and you know you put the trash in, and then you're supposed to just walk away, and then it thing it automatically closes after a little while. But it's actually tracking an internal state. So if you wave your hand and open it, and then you close the lid yourself you can actually get the state machine out of phase with like reality. So that's in and of itself just, you know, kind of a poorly designed trash bin. So that's not that uh, notable. But the interesting thing is that after like two or three weeks of people being frustrated with this machine, everyone knows how to work it and learn it. So it's just like this, you have this cycle of like experiencing frustration, 
kind of under fumbling around, getting it right, and then experiencing frustration again and kind of fumbling around and getting it right. And eventually you find all these like weird rough edges around the design and you just adjust to it. Like you're, you're like, that's what humans do. We just have this like thing. And um, he gives some reference materials, but the, the idea is that it's basically a human action cycle where you kind of like experience pain and then, you know, you do the cycle where you, you, you learn things. And the idea is that I, I think maybe like the core that I took away, the main takeaway for me was just, you know, try to become better at that, like identifying problems and then feeding back into the, to the, to the loop to make it a little bit easier on yourself and trying to make or become rather better at that cycle. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and this, this cycle he's talking about where he's saying you, um, you have to ha- see the big picture and then I guess learn the, I can't remember, I don't know if you call them heuristics. But you basically learn the big picture, then you learn the small stuff, uh, and then you kind of internalize it and adjust your model, and then you learn more about the big picture and more about the small picture. This cycle of like going back and forth and doing that over and over and over again, it's kind of, uh, I don't know the word he used for it, but basically uh, it's really hard to go from nothing in the CS world like while you're getting a degree and all of a sudden start learning computer science concepts without having this huge like context around you. But it's almost too big in CS, and then he starts talking about uh, in boot camps how that that focus is just way too small. So I thought that was a really interesting. Like in the beginning, when he when he explains it with the trash can, it doesn't seem as grand. And you're like, oh well, did duh, yeah, that's how everybody thinks. Like I, I look at things, I observe them, I think about it for a second, then I you know try something else. You know, it just sounds like a very uh, sim- simplistic kind of. It, it in itself is a simplistic model. But it's how we form all models and how we adjust all models. It's 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 the internal feedback loop we have that allows us to change the way we, you know, we view the trash can. So yeah, uh, it's it was oh man, title right there. Boom. <laughs> change the way you Call view the it. trash can. Yeah, um, <laughs> there is no trash can. Right. Um, so yeah, the uh, I, I really like this article. It was uh, like I said, it was really long, but it was like very good. Like the the whole time, the section headers are are saying like here's all these kind of important things. You're, you know. You're learning. I'm going to introduce this concept of this this cycle, um, and then come back to it later. And I mean, it's it's a the blog was just it's really great. It doesn't read like it's 20 pages, but man, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really long, but it is it is very insightful. I think that it really begs like a discussion to be had. I, I really think this is something that we can all uh, in the industry really think about and maybe take steps to you know maybe figure out how like what are the ways that we can try to bridge the gap between this four year degree. And you know something shorter in a cold school, and and try to give people the best chance to be able to get into the industry. There was actually a podcast that we covered a while ago that uh, Jeffrey Biles started called Career JS, I believe, and uh, David Tang, I think, and maybe Eric Hanchett, I think. They talk about a lot of these sub- subjects as well, and I think that it is a discussion that's worth having to try to, you know, like I said, figuring out how do we get people enabled to to jump in more quickly without going into massive collegiate debt. Right. But I, but I, at the same time, it, it, I, I like that he made a really good point of saying that like he feels like his CS degree really did position him in a place where it kind of like accidentally taught him how to learn. He realized that later that he, he was self-taught in the sense of like, even though he went to college, he taught himself all of the things he uses today, right? Like his school, I don't think, taught him. He just said it didn't teach him testing and it didn't teach him you know, good programming practices, but it teaches you how to learn. And that is like the valuable thing that that he got out of it. And so when you have a conversation with somebody and they're like, well, I don't use anything in my CS degree in my daily work, it's like, well, you you use some of it. 
but it's just you know you don't actually maybe not you don't use you don't use the subject but you use the yeah the the application is uh, more widely felt like I feel the same way with the uh, I have a liberal arts background I feel the same way like it's like oh I'm not using any of this but then I'm like well I you know I it helped me to learn to write better not that I'm a fantastic writer but you know like it helps it helps you know in in strange ways and it helps you to do research and find out what you what you think is credible for instance same thing in this CS degree I feel like there's a lot of learning how to learn concepts in college education. So, there, I mean, there's value there too. So, I don't know, it, it really is a dynamic conversation. And uh, I think this blog post does a really fair job of kind of representing the two approaches. And I think really the goal here, at least my, my understanding of the goal, is to really open that discussion up so that you can actually make the code schools more competitive with CS degrees to lower the barrier of entry, I think. Yeah. And I think that uh, one of the kind of the takeaways of this is that on-demand learning, I think is the way, way you phrased it, is all right. Like not knowing something, like starting out at a higher level and then not knowing what the th- the underlying or the abstraction is, the underlying level of this, whatever. Not knowing the next layer down is okay as long as you know where to look and how to go learn it when you need it. Um, and so having that skill of like really quickly like going to YouTube and knowing exactly what to look for, finding the video that's going to teach you just enough to get the job done is the important skill. Not actually knowing like. You can't. Like, no one can know all of the parts of the, the layers underneath the stuff we use today. Yeah, and you want those ten thousand foot uh, mental models. Those are the things that help me day to day. Yeah, definitely. Just knowing, like, you know, the high the higher level you have, like, like before you start a problem, the, the better off you're going to be because you're going to be able to like kind of reason, like, kind of use heuristics and kind of guess a little bit to get you to the right place where you need to be. So anyways, uh, I mean, we've been kind of long-winded on this, but this is a great blog post. I really highly recommend reading it. it. It will take a little bit of time to read. It's kind of long, but it's totally worth it. And if you have any questions or discussion pieces or you want to talk to us, go to the Slack channel. I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on the different sides of uh, of this argument, I guess, or this statement. I don't know. It's not really It's not really an argument. I think more, more ideas yeah. about like just how do you teach someone how to learn. Like what <laughs> That would be interesting to see. Yeah, well, and, and there are people out there who know how to learn like very well. I would like to become better at that myself, you know, like I feel like we're all endeavoring to get better at the learning to learn thing. So, yeah, especially in our field. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a uh, brand new RFC, RFC 229. And it's basically like deprecating the usage of a restricted resolver, which is kind of complicated sounding, but uh, it's something that uh, it's very, it'll, it'll immediately affect you. And you probably actually have already been bitten by it if you've upgraded to uh, Ember 212 plus. Uh, as I was recently. So I was going from 2.11 to 2.12 and virtually every single one of my uh, unit tests in a large test suite, basically uh, they broke. And the reason they broke is that previously the needs were not strictly enforced. So if you uh, had dependencies and those dependencies have dependencies, you have to basically needs everything that your unit test would have or would have access to and when you injected a service, it's supposed to restrict it, but it didn't do that until 2.12. So this is kind of like a bug fix that ended up breaking my code, but it was really because my code was never correct in the first place. Like the, we didn't have the needs there correctly, but it wasn't enforced. So now as soon as you go to 2.12, it's like, you know, you have all these tests that are like your needs are just not in sync anymore. So, so yeah, so you have to go in and actually update each one of them. And this is basically saying, hey, like death to needs. Needs doesn't offer you any value. And originally I was like, okay, it's really good. It's very helpful to see a list of your dependencies in unit test. And then uh, Matthew Beal actually kind of like asked me to elaborate further on that. And eventually he was like, you know, he came to like, he helped me realize that you don't gain a whole lot of information here because anytime 
your dependencies change and you see that that you know uh, assertion throw and it says hey you need to know this thing you just add it to the list so so like if the, if you're just going to add it to the list blindly and not think about it then what is that value adding and then also it doesn't preclude you from leaving them in so it's not like you can have a negative assertion like oh i i want only the ones in these dependencies uh, this needs list to be used and if they're not used i want that to throw as well so it doesn't do that so you can end up with like dependencies that are kind of lying to you like you are you list dependencies that you don't actually use anymore so there's a whole bunch of problems with this and in reality it's actually more work as well this is something that robert brought up it's more work because not only do you have to provide the di components to allow this to work you also have to do additional work to restrict it and say hey listen like i'm going to say this dependency you did not say it was available so i'm going to do an assertion and throw so it's extra work and it's it's brittle and it's and it causes a lot of pain and friction and i'm sure everyone's had difficulty with it so this rfc is basically outlining a way to kind of like just nix it all together and instead use integration colon true. And that basically just says, hey, you have all the DI components you need to get all your injections working, but we'll not restrict it. We're not going to say, we're not going to throw if you don't put it in a needs because needs doesn't exist. So I think it's a pretty cool uh, thing and it's kind of pushing towards, I don't think it's explicitly mentioned, but it's kind of another little step towards the testing unification, which I guess is a it's not a source subject or anything, but it's just like one of those things. If you, every time you mention it, people are like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome." When is that going to happen? And it's like two years old, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's so much that has to change for that, but it definitely will be cool. Although half of it's like there now. Like uh, if you use like native DOM helpers, you get a lot of the same behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean there there are like smaller things being pushed forward. I know that there's another uh, testing RFC that's in the works that's going to kind of piggyback on this and further modify it and kind of like edge it towards the testing unification. But a, a big bang kind of rewrite of the testing thing is very painful and like requires a lot of different people working on very different problems, I think. And I think, I, I, I think that's the, the friction right now is that it just, it's just, a, 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 it would be a large effort. So right now I think the idea is to, you know, take really small steps in ways that we can to kind of eventually align with the right, uh, the thing we want. So have you have you run into needs stuff, Chase? Oh yeah, I mean, well, uh, just recently I've been removing needs like controller needs because I'm on a one one three project and we still had those, but they're all gone now. But like the whole time I'm grepping them, I'm seeing these ones, and I'm like, oh, one day I'm gonna get rid of those. <laughs> like, and just turn everything integration true. Yep. And so yeah, this is it's it, we we did run into the exact same problem you're talking about where. You know, you just kind of like go. Oh, it complained. Said it needed a thing, so I put it in there. You know, you just like wait for the test to break, yeah. and people just people just do it. It's like this. It's like a pressure. It's like not even. I don't even look at it like coding. It's just like an automatic response to some pressure that the test results put on you. But then there's no reverse. There's nothing that says, "Hey, you have an assertion here that you used a thing you didn't." So basically, you get these massive blocks, mm-hmm. and the only way to know whether you can delete them is to delete it and run the test. And if it didn't fail, you're probably good removing the line. But it's not 100% because I think it's just waiting on the next test or something to, like maybe the component actually does use the thing, but the test is just not hitting the part of code that does make it use the thing. You know, maybe it's not an inject, it's a, you know, it's a, a, a lookup or something or a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lookup of the thing, like in, at, a certain, at a certain time. So maybe you just don't have a test that's stressing that part of it right now. So it's, I really think that they get messy and they're not very useful, like you're saying. So I would just, yeah, just get rid of them and clean her tests, like delete 20, 20 lines of code from every one of my tests. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds really great. So I, I'm I'm interested to see if there are like actual drawbacks. Um, there's, you know, always there's some good uh, comments on these RFCs to figure out like you know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So I'm I am excited to see some stuff, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be like universally like it's going to be like similar to uh, what was the one for Adder? Is like Adder. The bind adder? Yeah, bind adder. Yeah, it's going to be like that, where it's like everyone's just like, yes, thank goodness, it's gone. Oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, <laughs> like nobody nobody really wanted to talk bad about it while I was there, but then once it was gone, they were like, oh my yeah, God, right, yeah, God. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was so bad. Yeah, yeah. so check out the RFC comments uh, while the, uh, the, the comment period is open and let's get a discussion going. And uh, hopefully everyone will have happier tests soon. The next thing we're going to talk about is a uh, another medium post by a different person, Alex Lafrosia, and he is a, a UX engineer at Google and Nest Labs, I guess, because they're they're the same place. And this is a uh, a post talking about writing JavaScript in Vim. I, I want to put in like parentheses, like in a sane way. Uh, <laughs> it's basically talking about how to how to just make that less like um, problematic. There's a lot of cool things and like a lot of IDEs, like VS Code and trying to think of the Android one, like Android Studio, or all the, you know, any of the IDEs that give you all of this extra information. And if you're a Vim user, you're used to just like not having that and only having the exact things that you've basically programmed it to do. But one of the things that's becoming much more important now in JavaScript, and I don't think it was in like, even in Ruby, or I mean, in most other languages I've done, like Elixir doesn't seem to be as important, but JavaScript specifically, the linting, checking for style, the you know syntax errors and things like that, getting an exact point that like, hey, this thing is broken, is super valuable. Uh, actually, this would have saved uh, a coworker of mine probably two days worth of work because we didn't have an ESLint rule for having duplicate keys in an object, and it, it will everything will seem to compile, but it would blow up at runtime and it, like it was like halting our CI and he couldn't actually see what the actual problem was, but this would have actually caught it. And so there's there's all these little kind of syntax errors that just bite you. And even if they're just like, you just waited until lo- you ran the test locally and you caught them two minutes later, it's still like two minutes out from when it actually happened. So it's much better to like fix it like right then. Yeah, it, so a lot of this stuff uh, wasn't really possible without using something like Vim Dis- Dispatch until Vim 8, because async, you don't, you don't want to halt your writing to like do this stuff all the time. But because like AL, uh, AL ALE? Is it ALE? I mean, it's an acronym, but it's it's ALE. They got a beer as their. As they got a beer, so it's an ALE. Okay, so uh, so ALE does asynchronous stuff, which I've personally found to be very very fun. Like eventually, or like maybe at first it's a little jarring because you're like, oh, I haven't finished writing the sentence, so like or statement or line or whatever. So like, don't show me the error right away. But it still catches things where you're like, oh, like I, you know, oh, I did I did actually make this weird mistake because you can kind of read it in real time uh, right right below. So there's some really interesting things like that. That actually becomes very second nature, and you stop kind of thinking about it. Uh, it also ties into the rules for your local project, which for me, a lot of the local project rules are not the same as my normal aesthetic. So I kept on finding myself consistently running into situations where I would I would like write it, and then I would go to push it, and I would you know I had my test in isolation, and then I would run you know my full test suite, and like a bunch of linting errors would show up, and I'm like, oh geez, I have to fix all those, and it's like. You know, like they they want uh, if you have like more than a certain number of keys in an array or not keys, uh, uh, items in an array, they want it to be on uh, individual lines. There's there's a bunch of like I think they follow the uh, Airbnb uh, style guide. Yeah. Um. And and it's hard eighty characters. If you go over eighty characters, you're doing something different. It's gonna it's gonna rewrite it. So being being made aware of that is really good. But that 
in and of itself would still mean that I have to like physically fix things. So if I wanted to add to a QUnit assert a, a field or uh, some extra information or something like that to this big thing, I'm still going to have to ma- manually make all these changes. Well, you can hook this up to ESLint Fix with Prettier and just press a single button and it just auto formats for you. Kind of like the way Go, uh, I think it's Go format, I want to say, does, where you just press a button and just voila, like all of the changes according to your style guide are now applied. And I got to tell you, this has saved me hours already. And I've only been doing it for, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks. I think I actually, I actually, uh, I got to talking with Alex about this before he released a blog post uh, and he did it slightly different, but it's so, so helpful. The cool thing about this, I think the reason why I wanted to bring it up is not just because uh, I'm a Vimmer, uh, though I am, it's because this style, like make it to where when you save your document, it auto formats. You should do that in any editor that you're in. Because it's just going to save you time. It's going to get you to where those conversations you have about single or double quotes just disappear. You just don't even think about it. It's just you press a button and ooh, yeah, everything's what, good. What double quotes? Yeah, I don't even know. I, I you just do whatever you whatever you you know. And it, maybe maybe eventually that'll make me really lazy. But I mean, it's a it, it's a computer. It's meant to do things like this, like automated tasks. I should not feel the tedium all the time, you know, like I'm missing a semicolon, just put the semicolon in. Don't like bark at me and tell me, go fix it. Like you do it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's super great. Uh, you should check out the post. It goes into detail about how to use it with ale. Ale has some really good stuff. It works with NeoVim. And I believe it also worked with Vim eight, which is what I was using it with. So as long as you're on a more recent version of Vim, it's really easy. It's like, you know, if you have pathogen or bundle, you just throw in the package and then set your linter and the fix the linter fix. And then I think you have to install one other plugin to get prettier to, to work as well. But it's very simple. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's just such a it's such a load off my mind. I love it. Yeah. I mean I, I, I don't normally have like a getter turned on, so even like line numbers are gone unless I need them. But with this, you know, like every time I mess up it like adds the little X on the side and like brings the getter back and I'm like Maybe I just need to start using a getter. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually yeah I was running the same thing because it it uh, in Vim anyways it pops you over but mm. just a little bit, yeah. like a little tiny gutter for like two characters for like the little red arrow where you have a mistake. But that's super jarring because it actually shifts the character over. So like your your eyes have to kind of follow it. So what I've done is I just, there's a there's a setting to just always leave that gutter on and then that's it. You just don't have to worry about it. And then it doesn't pop or jar you anymore. And that's been, that's been pretty good. I also have it on a hotkey like Alex recommends. But I could totally see myself doing save. I just have this compulsive habit of like always pressing colon W like nine, like way more times than I need to. Like just it's just I'm waiting there. I'm thinking, you know, looking off in the distance. You know, I'm just I'm just doing it over and over again. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone else is like that, but it's just a weird compulsive habit that I know I have. There's got to be a lot of like errant colon W's in your in your source. <laughs> You'd be surprised. So but this gets rid of those, man, or at least it brings them up. It's like, hey, right. there's an error. It's a, it's a self-correcting problem. It's perfect. Definitely check this post out. Um, there's some other cool things about some autocomplete stuff that I haven't actually been able to dive into, which is why I'm not talking about it too much. Um, but it's super worth your time. And most of these things, like Prettier and ESLint and stuff, they'll just work. They have plugins and interop with pretty much any editor of your choice. So I'm telling you, like from my personal experience, this has been such a time saver. It's very, very cool. Yeah, Devin, I, I, I need to dive more into it. I only got like partway through. But yeah, there's so much more to this. And it's definitely, it's like opened my eyes a little bit to like, maybe I need to start messing with my tooling a little bit more. I've just kind of been doing everything manually 
but why am I doing that? I'm a, I'm a developer. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been doing the same thing, actually. Yeah, but yeah. Like, I, so there was a brief period of time there when I was like, you know, constantly churning on my uh, dot files. And then I think I think maybe you're in the same boat, or you were for at least a while. At Hashrocket, we ended up switching over to dot matrix. And there's a lot of decisions that were made that were just like, hey, this is how the dot files work. And I kind of like stopped thinking about it because it was just like, no, 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 there's solutions here. So like, I'm going to work with it. I'm going to, you know, color within the lines or whatever. So I agree. Like looking into my dot files, it sounds kind of appealing again. Yeah, definitely. All right. And thanks for sticking with us through the end of the episode. Sorry for the late release. It is unfortunately travel time because of the summer. So I think, Chase, you were in, were you in Cancun? Yep. In Mexico. How was that? Uh, it was great. Uh, we got kind of, not really rained out, but winded out of some trips and stuff. But other than that, um, we saw a lot of the, you know, the uh, temples and things like that around there. And oh, awesome. Did some snorkeling. Very cool. Very cool. I am doing a little bit of a different kind of traveling, which is I'm uh, moving from Jacksonville to Providence. So it's, a, it's considerably less fun to move all of your physical belongings across country than it is to go to Cancun. I'm just saying. Yeah. I thought you were going to say considerably less fun in Providence. I'm like, why are you going there? (laughs) No, I like Providence. It's great. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So once again, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And if you'd like to follow along, you can do so on Twitter at Ember Weekend. You can also find us on iTunes now. Yay. Yay. I forgot we hadn't mentioned this since uh, since the last time we recorded. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, so you don't have to type in the feed if, if you want to. It's everweekend.com slash feed.xml, obviously. Got to keep it keep it cool. But you can find us on iTunes, and it would actually be really helpful if you're uh, if you're feeling so inclined to leave a leave a review or a comment, thinking you know just some something there if you want to. And we'll be back next week. I'm really excited. See you next week. <laughs>